Exodus 17, the Lord takes the children of Israel. He moves them across the desert of Moab. There's no water where he takes them. The people grumble. And so God has Moses take a rock where the presence of God shows up and water flows from this rock to give the people water. Okay, so that's kind of the opening scene of chapter 17. Then the nation of Israel gets attacked for the first time. There's a, an enemy, uh, as they're in, Mo, in, the, in the wilderness, that attacks them. It's the Amalekites. And if you read your Old Testament frequently or thoroughly, you'll know that the Amalekites are a constant enemy of the nation of Israel. And they're kind of cowardice people. They actually, the way that they would attack people is that they would make sure they would get the stragglers from behind. And so they, they wouldn't attack front on, but they'd attack from the back. And so they attack the nation of Israel. And God raises up Joshua. This is the first time we hear about Joshua in the Bible. And he raises up Joshua to put together an army. And then Moses goes up on the hill above where the uh, battle is taking place, and he raises his staff in his hands. He raises his arm. We don't know if it's hands or hands, but he hand or hands, but he's raising his staff. And every time his, his hand and staff are raised, the nation of Israel is being victorious. And whenever his staff drops, right, he, they start losing the battle. And so Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses and raise up his arms. So if you're new to church life, and church people have like these weird Christian cliches, right? And so if you're new to it, you're like, I don't know what that means, okay? So if you've ever been new to church life and you walk in and someone's like, well, I'm, I'm just here to hold my brother's arms up. And if, like, if you're taking that literal, you're like, that's weird. Like, okay, so, right? And so, and so that comes from Exodus 17, that Moses had some brothers hold his arms up. It's, a, it's the idea of we're here to circle people and support one another uh, in the spiritual journey, all right? And, and so this is where we get that from, all right? And then, of course, jo uh, jo uh, Joshua defeats the Amalekites. So let me draw up four points, all right? That's why you're short this morning. So here we go. I'm going to move quickly. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, 1 to 4. It says this, it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. That's very important. And they camped at Rephidim, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? You know, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, very important, where Moses takes his burden, right? He takes it to the Lord, and he says, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me, all right? So a couple quick points out of this. First of all, and I hinted at this last or two weeks ago, and I said I was going to circle back. Point number one, at the root of grumbling, it's ultimately letter A, against God. When we grumble at our circumstances, ultimately that grumbling is against the Lord. Why would I say that? Because you want to know how the nation of Israel got to a place where there was no water? God took them there. God says, I want you to go. Verse 1, I want you to go to this place. He brought them to a place where there was difficulty and trial. There's no water. Listen, I think a lot of times when we, if you're here this morning, you're in the middle of a difficulty, you're in the middle of a trial, 
our first thought is God somehow lost control of things. No, our trials are there. They're gifts of the Lord to grow us and to shape us. Listen, God's not just trying to get us through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. God is teaching us to depend on him so that he gets the glory out of your life. And by the way, how many of you... Yeah, maybe this is a rhetorical question because I already know the answer probably for the most part. But like few times do people get saved or make a first-time commitment to the Lord when things are great, Right? When is it that when you came to Christ, where were you in your life? You're probably at a low point, right? It's the low points that God often does the most work. Amen? So if you came in here, you're like, man, I'm on a low point. Guess what? God's doing something. He's shaping you. He's molding you. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. He says, uh, verse 3, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. You ever been around those people? They're suffering, and you decide to go to the house or the hospital to minister to them, and you leave going, what was that? There is so much joy in there. I cannot explain that. You ever done that? That's a person who understands that a trial is a gift from the Lord, and God has not forgotten them, and God is doing something. Back to Paul, Romans 5. Knowing that suffering produces something. What does it produce, church? Endurance, right? Because when you get through one, the next time a trial comes, you go, I can do this again because God was with me the first time. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. It's fascinating that it's like backwards world. You wouldn't think that suffering and trials produce hope. You would think it would produce discouragement. But what happens is, as you persevere through a trial and you realize God is with me, the next trial, you go, God's also going to be with me. Amen? And it produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, as you go through in difficult times and, and you consider, continue to cling to God in the difficulty, you, you continue to understand God didn't put me in this because he hates me. He actually loves me. He's developing something in me. But grumbling, let it be, is a result of unbelief. See, when you go through a hard time, if, you, if your first default is to grumble, it's an unbelief in the sovereignty of God, that what's happening to you is somehow, somehow out of God's control. Like, you may be sitting here today, and you're a Christian, and you're like, well, you know, I know God's control of the universe, but He's not in control of my little universe. Somehow God's lost control. It's unbelief in God's ability, God's ability to deliver. God's ability to use for good or God's ability to use these difficulties to shape us into the image of his son. It's unbelief that God is still with you. I didn't read all the way through verse 7, but in verse 7, it says the people grumbled by saying, is God with us or not? See, when we begin to grumble, like you think, God somehow abandoned me. I'm a child of God, but he's left me alone on this one. It's unbelief. God has not left you alone, which, by the way, can I just say this, because my wife's sitting in the front row, and so I'm just going to confess, like, God has been working on me on this, because I'm a grumbler. I'm, a, I'm preaching to Sean Brown, so none of this has anything to do with y'all, okay? So, because God has been working me over, like, 
I'm with you. What's the problem? I'm, so, I'm, I'm molding you. I'm shaping you. And grumbling is ultimately against God, and it's a lack of faith. Second thing, it's impossible to read through Exodus. I think I made a similar point last year uh, because it's impossible to read through this and not see, number two, the difficult challenge of leadership. Listen, if, if <clears throat> leadership is hard, and there's only one leader in the room, right? Because they just said, amen. <laughs> Listen, if, if you say yes to leadership, and I'm talking anything, I'm talking small group or ministry or church or out in the community, uh, elders, pastors, God help you if you choose to coach Little League Baseball, you know, like, you know, like, especially if the kid's 10 and under, you know, here's what I found coaching baseball. Under 10, every parent thinks their kid is going to be the next Major League Baseball all-star, right? And then somewhere between 13 and 15, they're like, oh, maybe they're not that good. I don't know. So... But man, if you say yes to leading anything, you are going to take criticism. You, 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 you're gonna, there's always going to be people that think you missed something or you chose poorly or ready for this. There's going to be people that think your motives were selfish. If you're a leader, and I love what Moses does here, man. They're like, they're ready to kill him. And he, he goes to the Lord. He prays. He says, God, you got to help me here. These people already stoned me, right? And so here's the riverbanks of leadership, because I'm afraid I'm discouraging any of you from being leaders, and we need leaders at Coastal. Okay, so rise up in leadership, and leadership is hard. Okay, so, uh, so here it is. You ready? A leader answers to the Lord, which is both incredibly freeing and incredibly terrifying. It's freeing because people will criticize your motives, but the Lord actually knows your motives. Freeing and terrifying at the same time, right? Which, by the way, if you're leading something and it's, it feels God-opposed, like, man, I can't seem to make any headway with this. What's the Bible say? God opposes the what? But gives what? Grace to the humble, right? So a leader, the other riverbank, a leader needs to be humble before the Lord and say, you know what, I, Lord, you put me here. I, I'm depending on you to, to see this through, right? And so this is why as, as Christians, like God calls us actually to honor our leaders. Did you know Romans 13, the Apostle Paul writes that we should honor our governing officials? And by the way, this is written when the governing officials were killing the Christians, right? Now, I don't think that this is wrong. Paul goes on to say in Romans 13 that the government is there to do good and not evil, and so I think there's a place for, hey, this is e the government's calling this good, and it's actually evil, and it's okay. I think there's a place for calling that out, but it may require that we submit to the consequences of calling it out, like Jesus did before Pilate. Right? Where he says to Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you by my Father in heaven, and he submits to what Pilate wants to do. Um, but we're to honor our governing officials. We're to pray for them. Can I encourage you? Pray especially for the person you didn't vote for. Amen? Like, we, we like to Facebook them. How about if we just leave that alone and pray? 
You think your little influence on Facebook is more important than what God can do in the heart of that leader. Let's pray. Pray for your church leaders, Hebrews 13. If you're in leadership, if you're leading anything, be a person of prayer. Pray, 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 pray. Go to the Lord when it gets hard. The Lord puts you there. The Lord's in charge. The Lord will help you. Number three, let's move on. This may be obvious. This may be obvious. But number three, this rock that God calls Moses to get the water from is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, now this is really fascinating, right? And I'm going to bring this full circle in 1 Corinthians. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Man, I just, I wish I had more time this morning. I mean, because God brought these people to a place where they had no water, so they had to depend on Him alone for the water of life. If you're in a tough spot today, I'm telling you, you're there because God's teaching you, depend on me, depend on me, depend on me, depend on me, depend on me. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 leans into this and reminds us that all of this is a picture. So let me take this rock, dry land, no water. It's all a picture finding its fulfillment in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the, spiritual, the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The, and the rock was who, church? Listen, I think when verse 6 of Exodus 17, when... Moses gets the rock, and he's supposed to strike it, and he says, I'll be there. I think we have an image of the pre-incarnate Christ pointing us to the fact that the real water of life is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know. I, I don't go to 7-Eleven much, okay? The only, the, really, the only time I go to 7-Eleven is if I'm really hot and thirsty and I'll go into 7-Eleven, and I'll get a big gulp, right? And, and I always go light ice, right? Because I'm paying for it, and I want as much soda as possible. I go light ice, and I'm, if I'm really thirsty, you know, I'm filling it up, and I sip steel. Okay, so I don't know if that disqualifies me from being your pastor, but, like, you do too, probably. Like, I'll get, a, get an extra sip for my 225, right? You do that. I'm really hot and thirsty, you know, and I pay for it, and I get out to my car, feeling a twinge of guilt for sip stealing, and then I put the straw in, and why does, by the way, why does 7-Eleven, even if you buy the 12-ounce, give you a straw that is this big, like, you're, like, holding it down here, like, you know, and you do that. I just did that, like, a week ago. I'm like, I don't know how to drive and drink this, uh, so... Um, and I remember one time I did this, I'm really thirsty, and I get the straw in, and the straw was cracked. You ever get one? Of, yes, you know that. Like, and you're like, 
and you can, you know, you're like, I can't get any fluid, you know, and Romans 1 tells us that every single one of you in this room is a worshiper. It's not a matter of if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship. And there's only one thing that can capture your heart that will fulfill the soul. Everything else in life that you're pursuing, you're running hard after. Money, what the world says about sex and gender, position. If you're like, if you're like dying to have position and influence, all that, that's not God-ordained. Everything in life will leave you with a broken straw. <sighs> Man, I'm just, my soul is parched. And I just can't seem to get filled. And all the way back in Exodus 17, there's this theme that runs throughout Scripture that says, yes, I'm sometimes God in His grace brings you to a place that your soul is parched. So that you go, all the things you think will give you life, you've been trying to drink through a broken straw. John chapter 4, woman at the well, Jesus says, if you drink from this water, you'll be thirsty again. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. John chapter 6, Jesus stands up and says, if you want to never thirst again, you drink from me. John chapter 7, Jesus says, if you never want to thirst again, you drink from me. And we take this picture all the way through Revelation 21. We get this little glimpse into heaven. And running through the streets of heaven is the river of life that will come to us in abundance so that our souls will never be empty forever and ever and ever. And Revelation 21, 6 says, and this river is given to you free of charge. So if you're here this morning, man, and your soul's parched, maybe your soul's parched and you're a Christian. You do know Christ, but man, you're just like, man, I'm just tired. I can almost guarantee you there's something that you're, there's some broken straw that you're sipping through that you're hoping will give you life. And really Christ is saying, give that one to me. I've got a better plan for you. And if you're here this morning and you, and, and, and you don't know Christ and, and you stumbled in here this morning, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this church has something. And you came in, and the pastor gets up, like, let's talk about the Constitution. Woo! Like, thank you for being here, you know, kind of thing. And, but now you're sitting here, and you're like, Man, it's not an accident you're here. You stumbled in here today because your soul is parched, and it can only be filled and quenched. There's a spiritual thing that only Jesus can do. And the way to drink deeply from Christ is say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I've been doing things my own way, and God has a rescue plan for you. He wants you to turn from your own ways, the things that you think will give you life, repent of your sin, and believe in God's rescue plan. And here's God's rescue plan. Jesus is God. He set foot on this planet. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins, a substitutionary death where God took the wrath of God and poured it out on Christ instead of you. They placed his body in a grave, and three days later, he stepped out of his own grave defeating the consequence of sin and authenticating his claims as being the only thing that will quench your soul. You with me? And you can receive Christ today. You can say, man, God, right now, just I'm, I've been doing it my own way, and I need to follow you. The rock all the way from Exodus 17 is Christ. The uh, prophet Jeremiah says it this way. I love this verse. He said, for my people have committed two evils. What's evil number one? 
They've forsaken me. That means you're trying to find life your own way. He said, they've forsaken me. Let's say this together. And I am the what? The fountain of what, church? That's number one. The second evil is they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. These are broken cisterns. They can't hold any water. That's drinking from a broken straw. If your soul is parched, you can know Christ today, and I'm going to give you that opportunity at the end of the service. All right, final thing I want to talk about this morning. I'll move quickly. I just got to kind of give you the point here, okay? I've left so much meat on the bone. There's so much great stuff in, in Exodus 17 I can't talk about. But number four, I believe that the Scriptures are giving us a great picture of the interdependence of the church body. So now we're going to flip down to the end of the passage. They go to war with Amalek, okay, the Amalekites. Exodus 17, verse 8 says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him. So obviously Joshua knows something about battle, right? And so God, Moses points him out. It says, Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek. And while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the hill, and whenever Moses has held his hands up, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So a couple things. First of all, the, there's actually a little debate on what is happening there uh, in regard to, is Moses on the top of the hill getting, giving direction? So the people of Israel don't get flanked. He's up on the hill. He's giving direction to Joshua. Or is he praying? I don't think. In some ways, it doesn't matter. It's a probably a both end, right? And so we have this picture of Moses. While his hands are raised, the people are victorious. When his hands drop, they're not. And so God provides some two men, her and Aaron, to come alongside of Moses and lift up his arms so that the nation of Israel can be uh, victorious over the Amalek. So, uh, just running this through the New Testament, okay, I'm going to move really quickly here, all right? In advancing the gospel through the local church, as we battle our enemies, what are the three enemies that we battle? The world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? As we battle these spiritual enemies, every single person that calls this church their home church has a part to play in the gospel, one of the things that happens, it doesn't happen here much, but it happens like when I'm in the community. If I meet someone and for whatever reason, I figure out I'm the pastor of Coastal. This is what people often say to me. Oh, I've been to your church. And I say, it's not my church. It's Jesus's church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, Jesus, through the scriptures, has given us pictures on how to organize the church so that we can be successful in discipling people. That's kind of what I, the first 10 minutes today was, right? How can we be successful in what God's called us to do? And so Jesus does put people in the roles of pastorate, but guess what? Jesus can take them out too. Stop it, Marty. Like, it's very personal to me. So, yes, Lord, take him out. That's <laughs> uh, why does everybody get hit by a bus? Have you ever noticed? Like, what if you get hit by a bus today? Why is it a bus? Anyway, so, you know, like, whatever. You got hit by a bus. 
No, Jesus is the head. And one of the common themes that you see throughout Scripture is Jesus, in displaying his glory, uses all of us together. Everybody is a part of what God is doing. Moses grows weary. Aaron and her come alongside. The disciples went out in pairs. Titus, I want you to appoint elders, plurality, to function as leaders in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 The Apostle Paul calls the church a body, and he says every single part of the body is important. One of the things I love about the vision that God has given Coastal is we're distributing the gospel through gospel outposts. Listen to me. We are about to send, and I'm going to use a basketball term here, okay? We're about to send 100 to 150 people to Williamsburg, and a lot of these folks, here's the basketball term, a lot of these folks are ballers, okay, and uh, involved here at Yorktown, which means if Yorktown is your home church, okay, so we develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, and we do it in three really important ways. Important way number one is what? Connect. That's corporate worship. So you're here this morning. I'm so glad you're here. If you've been coming in regularly, this is your home church. Praise God. We're so glad you're here. But that's an incomplete disciple of Jesus as we read the New Testament. So number two, connect. We develop authentic followers of Christ to connect. What's number two? Grow. Listen, I told you at the beginning of this. Last weekend, this weekend, over 2,100 people are a part of Coastal. We want to minister to you. If you are not in a small group, you can walk in here, have a need where you need somebody to come alongside of you and do what? Hold your arms up. We all need that from time to time. If you're not in a small group, it's easy to come in and leave and no one knows. That is not our heartbeat. We want you to know other believers that will hold your arms up, and that happens in a small group. So when I get up here and say, hey, join a small group, it's, it's a way bigger than you think. It's so that you can have a community because we develop authentic followers of Christ through connect, number two, grow, and what's number three? Serve. You have a place to give back. We would not be able to do Sunday morning ministries without hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteer hours. I, uh, I'll finish with this. We'll close with prayer. I, um, I've had this on my desk or on my counter somewhere in my office for almost 25 years. It's a card that when I was a youth pastor in Georgia, I took my youth group to a missions trip. The church I was at hadn't taken a missions trip in decades. Let me say that again. The church I was a part of in Georgia hadn't taken a missions trip in decades. So me and some of the leaders like, we're going to take a missions trip. So we went to inner city Jacksonville. We found a church where this pastor, Pastor Nick, was revitalizing this downtown Jacksonville church. It dwindled down about 10 people. He was revitalizing it, and he was doing it by doing VBSs in the community all summer long. He'd bring in members. He'd bring in teams to do, mem- to do this VBS, and we were a team. And we came in, and the first night, he gave us this, and this is what's on the inside. Can you guys see that? What is it? It's a piece of a puzzle. And he said, here's the deal. The puzzle is the glory of God being exalted through the gospel of Jesus. You're a puzzle piece. You're not the whole puzzle, but you are a piece. And if you don't do your piece, we're incomplete. Everybody with me? In my family, we've done one, in all the years I've been married to my wife and had my kids, we've done 1,000-piece puzzle together. It was a couple years ago. We finished it, and it was super discouraging. You want to know why? 
there's three pieces missing, right? And instead of like going, wow, look at this, we're like, you're like, they look at the pieces that are missing, right? Listen, it's similar in church life. It's easy to sit here and go, well, it looks like they got enough people playing in the band. <clears throat> like, if you're good, like, audition, we need you. Looks like you got enough ushers and greeters, security, children's workers, youth workers. Eh. Like, we need you to be a part. Next week, we're going to give you an opportunity to be a part. So here's what I want you to pray about this morning. I want you to go home, and if this is your home church, I want you to attend this week and say, God, where is it that you want me to be a part of holding up the arms of the ministry of Coastal? Because you have a place for me to develop as an authentic follower of Christ. Yes, through connect. Yes, through grow. Yes, also through serve. Amen, church? All right, I'm out of time. Let's do this. I want to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up under the screens if you need prayer today. We want you to go home pray. We want you to be prayed up. I know maybe you're in the middle of a trial, like I was talking about, and you just need somebody to pray with you. Like you've been a little discouraged, and and you want God to enlighten you and empower you to say, hey, I've got, got some challenge. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're drinking through a broken straw right now, and you're like, I'm here, and I, I want to know Christ. Come talk to this prayer team, and they'd love to show you how to receive Christ. Father, I pray over this church body. They are amazing people. I pray as they go out this week, you would bless the things you put their hand to, the ones that are leading things, give them encouragement, help them to depend on you. The one that's in the middle of a trial, God, I pray that you draw near to them, help them to endure, because endurance produces character, character produces hope, God. For the one doesn't know you today, God, I pray that they would know you. They say, you know what, I am broke. I'm drinking out of things that aren't giving my life life, and I, I'm, I'm parched, and I need to know Christ, God, where they receive Christ today. For everybody in this room, God, they'd be a part of what you're doing through the ministry of Coastal. Every person here is a piece of the puzzle, God. They're part of the body. We all need our arms lifted up from time to time. And God, we can do that together. God, we're really, really humbled about all the things you're doing through the ministry of Coastal, God. May we all be humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so, God, we go out today celebrating you, O Christ. We exalt Jesus. He's our Savior, Creator. He's made us with a purpose. We're not just here to kind of get through, muddle through life, and then one day we can meet you face to face. We're here to be a part of what you're doing to reveal your glory. I mean, what a, what a treasure. What an invitation, God, to be a part of what you're doing. And so we praise you for the gospel of Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name I pray.